This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Ah, happy schedule release day for the NFL. It's a big time of year, Kuz. People in the media get pretty pumped up about it. The players, nah, not so much, I think. But um, obviously, it's going to be a big night. Uh, listen, I'm going to be honest with you guys right now, all right? Brent Martino's running a little late, okay? Uh, cat by the name of E. Dilla we had on the show last week. Not really sure what I'm supposed to do here, but I'm going to do what I think is necessary and right, okay? So last week we had E. Dilla obviously on from, uh, you know, he's, he's from the Bolt Saber game, but he's got his podcast and everything, and he's essentially like the Adam Schefter uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We don't know his sources. I think we figured out that he is indeed Black Goose. Or is he white? We still don't really know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, his his music tastes, putting Haji Beats as your profile picture, your Avi, um, it throws you for a little bit of a curveball. So can't confirm the race of E. Dilla quite yet. Not a big deal. But here's the big thing, okay? He put out the schedule. Now, how accurate schedule, is it? Yeah. A schedule. How accurate is it? Well, he said himself. Usually, he's around the ballpark of 80%. And here's Brent Marno. Oh, you came just in time, man. I was getting ready to break it down. It's, you can break it down. Oh, no. I mean, are you well, going to go off what E. Dilla says? Well, no, I just got so, done kicking his ass. So, oh, I, I, And he oof. just spoiled Christmas. Ooh, well, here's the thing. Do we announce it or not? Like That, that, that was like my um, kind of dilemma before you got in here. It's like, well, I'm not sure if I should really encourage this or not. And then I came from the standpoint of, well, guess what? The guy was on the show last week, so... Well, you know, have we hired him yet? We haven't hired him, but he's usually pretty right. So I think there might be something to it, Brent. Hey, listen, thoughts? we put out a schedule yesterday, too, just guessing. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Mine was trash, just though. guessing, and maybe he's right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, uh, obviously, it doesn't look like John Clayton was right mm. about the AFC versus the NFC games early yeah. on. All the folks that uh, thought divisional games would be backloaded doesn't look like that's right and i kind of hinted at that i said that last week i i had heard that and i know some people talked about that Mm -hmm. but i heard that wasn't necessarily the case uh so edil's schedule might be the best one right now we'll find out Uh, whoever gets the right wins a hat oh (laughs) i like it and i'm sure i'm sure it upsets you a little bit See, to me, I love this because of what the NFL was trying to do, um, you know, tonight. They're going to make a three-hour show about, oh, it's dra- you know, it's, it's schedule release night. Everybody grab the family, gather around. It's going to be a crazy night. I'm sure Luke Bryan is going to make another appearance, and we're going to make a whole spectacle of it. And then all of a sudden, just some guy on Twitter with, you know, 5,000 followers from the underground just says, no, nah, I think I'll release the schedule right now. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's why, like, I hope it's right number one. But I'm all about it because it's kind of, like, essentially a big middle finger to the NFL in general. Yeah. And I'm not mad. And, and, by the way, the leak in the NFL, the Jags, wherever, better hope they don't get caught. They, they yeah. don't like this stuff. Oh, I, I really not. don't, yeah. you know. Um, and and I, it could be multiple people and kind of piecing it together and all that. But, uh, hey, he's having fun with it. I think we've had fun with him. I I, I jokingly said I'm blocking you on Twitter because I kind of do want to be surprised. You're, you're, you're kind of serious, though, because you're kind of upset. You're a little upset. Uh, not, no, I'm not really that upset. Okay. About it. Well, okay. because uh, here's the other thing. There's a 20% chance he's wrong. Sure. <laughs> there is that. So, uh, so maybe uh, there'll be a surprise or two. We we need to confirm. <laughs> uh, 
Here, here's the other. Some, sometimes we will get a heads up so we can print it and push it out there, but we can't really say it until. Mm-hmm. And uh, we may get that a little bit later, not on the show. I've asked not. I don't want it right now. Why? Well, because I don't want to accidentally say something. Oh. We're not allowed to leak it out, so okay. I wouldn't want to say it. So I can't tell you if his is right or wrong. Uh, but blink, blink if he's right. <laughs> I can't. Oh, no. I, mean, I mean, he was so fast with the blink. You can at least tell it dries open a little bit. It was literally a point of a fraction of a second, and Brent Martineau blink, ladies and gentlemen. I can't tell you. I don't know. I Fastest seriously blink asked, I've ever seen. I said, if you're going to do that, to so give us a heads up for our web department and, and our graphics department and everything yeah, else, which yeah. is very nice things sometimes we get um if that happens don't do it until after six o'clock i don't want to know okay yeah. <laughs> because because then what happens is we say something say this didn't come out from dilla then you say we're guessing and we're talking mm-hmm. about the schedule and you guess right and they say well see you said something oh, no, you no, know? no i get it and yeah, i don't I mean, want that so. yeah, listen it's all part I of i like to be surprised by it i really do no, I, I don't need to break the schedule and let's be honest it's all about you know i mean a part of journalism as it should be is you should have more than one source, right? I mean, like, more people than one person should confirm well, that's, so, so that's uh, When we had that's Dilla on, that's why I said this is the BS about Dilla. He doesn't need more than one source. Well, because he's, but he's not officially, like, a member he of the just, he's, he's not getting paid for this, man. I know it. Yeah. So I so, hope you're wrong, Dilla. Okay. I, I, really, I hope he's right just to kind of put a middle finger to the NFL, man. Don't don't have don't present it as a three-hour show to reveal the schedule. Just put it on the website. Let's move on with our lives, and let's get excited for some football. Still getting way too much credit here tonight. Let's start the uh, show. How's everybody doing on the Thursday? Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. A little UFC conversation coming up. Justin mm-hmm. Gagey on the show. Yep. Am I saying that correctly? <laughs> Me and Coos just had this joke. Yes, you are saying Justin Gagey correctly. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, so I thought so. I mean, it's confusing, man. He's got a J in there. Yeah, and, so he's, yeah. Got, okay, he's by a vowel. He's got by- that, too. <laughs> exactly. When yeah. we have people on the line, I was telling Austin this. I never know what to call them. Do I say Mr. Gagey? Don't, yeah. Do I say, no, you don't hey, Justin? That. Yeah. Because that feels weird because that's my name, too. So. True. But I would say, hey, Justin. Like, I mean, he's like a 31-year-old have... fighter. Yeah. Right, but I, when... If, if it's... I don't even think Dana White would want you to call Mr. White. No, I, I said, um, hey, no. Dana, and then even that felt weird. Yeah. You know? This is fighting. This isn't a Fortune 500 company but we're even so, about like, here, when you know? Billy Horschel calls in. Do I, like, I, the first time, ah, I was like, Billy. hey, Mr. Horschel, and I was like, that I see feels you, weird. Brent, Justin Gagey, 31 years old, doing a little homework, I see. He's, he's, I see you. Here's what's interesting about that fight coming up. Hit me with it, Brent. How much does reach matter in the fight? Because okay. he's got a six-inch disadvantage. That's a good point. As it starts with Tony Ferguson, those long arms. I mean, that's why I still get up the darts chokes. Are you a big darts choke fan, Brent? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah nah, I get it, man. It's, it's kind of a hard maneuver to pull off. You have to have those long arms. So I get it. From, from your standpoint, you're probably How more of like a rear naked. that? Darts? D-A-R-C-E? D-apostrophe A-R-C-E. Is that like the guy who invented it? Tony Ferguson? No. Oh. Darts. Uh, that's a good question. Probably. I told you, I've already told you, I've been in a rear naked chokehold before yeah, and yeah. almost put to sleep. That's a fantastic story. Uh, Matt Hughes, right? Matt Hughes. Yeah, which is like, dude, one of the pioneers Absolutely. of MMA. Guy's a bad dude. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk a little so, bit about that. Uh, he, the headliner, by the way, is Gagey and Ferguson mm-hmm. coming up Saturday. Uh, Action Sports Shacks will be there. And it's going to be a wild process. The whole thing. We'll be able to tell you more about it uh, coming up on Monday and how it went. You can see it on ESPN Plus. Obviously, there's a pay-per-view element to it as well in terms of the Gagey Ferguson fight. And uh, we'll have an interview today coming up at 3:30 with Justin Gagey. We'll also on tomorrow. I'm going to give you a chance to kind of break down the matches yeah. uh, because hey, listen. First of all, nobody talks MMA like we do. Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> 
like you do. Oh, man, hey, hey, you're, you're bringing content to the table. We're talking about reach. We're talking about dart strokes. Brenton, you're on it, man. You're good. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. I, I know it's not for everybody, but that's okay. We've got an expert in the room. It's the first live sporting event in the United States. Mm-hmm. We had a fantastic interview with Dana White the other day. That gained some traction in some of the MMA circles. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow uh, as well from a bout-to-bout standpoint. Just spend a, a segment or so on it. Um, but today is a little bit about the schedule. Mm-hmm. Today also we ask a couple of questions. And to me it has to do with mental toughness and physical toughness. Mm. Do the Jags about have the commercials it? Again? Okay, I thought we were going back to the commercials. Nah, during the NFL draft. Okay, good. Uh, do the Jags have it? I like it. And what I mean by that is I'm going to give the mental toughness side. You better have that to wear a C on your jersey. Mm-hmm. And you brought up an interesting thing this week that, from a topic standpoint, who will be the captains of this Jaguars team? Mm-hmm. A team that has 30 rookies on its 90-man roster right now. I can name off and rattle off second-year players and third-year players. It has very few veterans. Avery Jones, veteran guy. Chris Conley, veteran guy. Heck, I would put Josh Lambeau in that category. Lorente McRae in that category. Linder. You've got Linder and Norwell. I mean, it, you have some. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a lot. Mm-hmm. And who do you lean on? Offense, defense. How many captains do you need on a team? In the past, this team has had five or six of them. Uh, so, and, and by the way, I will get Doug Marone, who had an awful run with captains in 2018, allowed the team. Now, I don't know if he had a little more influence, but he allowed the team to pick him again yeah. in 2019. And that wasn't as glaring of an issue as it seemed to be in 2018 mm-hmm. uh, with who they chose as captains. But who would you identify? And could you give a guy like Minshew the captaincy in year number two? He's your alpha dog guy. He's your guy. He is the guy. We know that. I think they know that. I think everybody knows that here in 2020. Could you give him a captain's role? So we'll talk about that uh, and and love to get people's thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. And listen, to a degree, is the captain stuff a little overrated? Yeah, probably. But I do think it it signifies something in a locker room. And you can speak to that. And I also think on this team, because there's so much youth, it may carry a little weight. But there's also a lot of storylines, Brent, right? Like Leonard Fournette. This is last year in Jacksonville. We're almost 100% sure of that, okay? Do you give him a captaincy, okay? Joe Schobert, obviously, is going to be a leader on that defense. Do you give him a seat, even though it's going to be his first year in Jacksonville? Let's be honest. We don't know when they're actually going to be on the field together, yeah. you know, meeting together and everything. Does he earn a seat? Many so people haven't even met him exactly. yet. Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of questions yeah. to, to watch regarding who's going to be a captain this year. So I'm going to chalk that up to the mental toughness side. The physical toughness side, and again, I always try to be very careful with this element. Uh, I'm not saying the Jags aren't physical and can be violent on defense, but there is no way that you would characterize the Jaguars' defense over the last three or four years, even when it was very good, as this physical, violent defense like you would maybe the Baltimore Ravens at times. Correct. Even past Jaguars teams that have shown that physical, violent nature. The maybe the Tennessee Titans, the Steelers. I would put maybe even the Buffalo Bills in this category. Mm-hmm. So the question is, Does the 3-4 shift, because the teams I just mentioned, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, uh, Buffalo, they've run that 3-4, right? They have, but now the the Bills run a 4-3 when Sean McDermott got there. Okay, so they've switched it around. Um, Does that lend to being a more tough team, a Mm -hmm. more physical team? Mm -hmm. 
Or is it okay to just be flashy, athletic, playmaking, and not have that I am going to bruise the heck out of you today mentality in this current day and age in the NFL? I'm looking forward to talking about this because obviously I did a little homework last night and I analyzed teams that have the 3-4 defense, teams that run a 4-3 defense, and kind of the, the more successful teams of the 3-4, what do they have in common? And I, I kind of made some interesting observations, so I'm not sure if you want to get into it right now, more uh, later on in the show, whenever you're thinking. But. Well, we're going to do it a little bit later because we're okay. taking a break right now, and uh, we will talk a little bit about the schedule before we have Gagey on, and then we'll revisit the captains and the physical nature. So a little mental toughness, a little physical toughness. I'm going to need a little mental toughness to get through the show now that Dilla spoiled it for all of us, <laughs> all right? Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Let's talk a little bit about the schedule. And... and Rumors and all that, not in that sense. That's fine. It's out there. If you want to go find it, you can see the rumors and what people are saying. How important is a fast start for the Jaguars in 2020 in this particular makeup of a team? Everybody, every coach, we got to get to fast start. We got to get to fast. But they all break it up in quarters as well. I'm going to give you a little history lesson on how the Jaguars have been. Cool. Also, I was thinking about prime time games, and something we left off when we said that yesterday is sure the Jaguars aren't going to have this the million prime time games. Some people are like, oh, they won't even have a prime time game. It is out that they're not playing the Titans in prime time. Yeah, that's nice well, to know. We think, Brad. Well, are, are we going to play Paul Kaharski now? A little more reputable than some others. <laughs> well, I think that is that's factual. True. Paul Karski once said that was the best Twitter follow in the NFL. Right, there you go. So See? he's right. <laughs> but does Minshew help you get in prime time? Yeah. Tell a little bit about the schedule before we have an interview with Justin Gagey coming up, and then we hit some mental and physical toughness when it comes to the Jags and maybe us on ESPN 690. Not a few, but the process for me is really just weighing my options and taking my time. I ain't in no rush right now. I know with the with what's going on right now in the world with the coronavirus and everything, it's a slow process until people, so the team really can see me and see what I got and give me physicals and everything. So I ain't in no rush. I just uh, waiting on the right opportunity and the right timing for me. It's all about timing and opportunity. So uh, just stay focused, stay locked down, stay working, and uh, it's going to present itself when the time is right. That is Jadavion Clowney. It's interesting. I, was, I think it was Jeremy Fowler, and now you hear some of that conversation about Clowney. He really is waiting this thing out. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is he's not getting what he wants. It's amazing. And when, we, when this story and situation is revisited, I, I'm a little surprised the national guys, because they talk to so many coaches and GMs around the league, not just kind of like us talking to the ones here. And it will be questions that I ask about. What happened to the pass rusher market? Mm-hmm. I mean, you used to be able, if if you had one career sack, that was like a pitcher back in the late 90s being able to throw a fastball over 90. You were guaranteed $10 million. Didn't yeah. matter if your ERA was 2.46 or 6.82. Yeah. I mean, there used to be a time where pitchers in the big leagues, it, it, I mean, their ERA was up around five, and they were still getting deals for $10 bucks. Well, that's kind of like the pass rusher. Like, yeah, Obviously, your elite ones are getting crazy money. But $17, 18000000 that's like two years ago, your run-of-the-mill, your average pass rusher. Yeah. Uh, and Clowney, obviously, is coming off that bad year. Still no home for him. He's coming off uh, – there's a lot of video and messaging going out now from his camp, of course, saying, I'm healthy. And, and I, yeah. I, I guess this part makes sense on Clowney's front. He's going to wait to see if he can go visit people and show them that he's healthy, and therefore maybe someone will invest more. 
uh, although it doesn't sound like Seattle is going to be one of the investors. Um, I think Jeremy Fowler yesterday said that Cleveland had actually tried to do a deal in the last month. That would have been interesting, huh, Clowney and Miles Garrett? Yeah. Uh, and then the Tennessee, uh, it's been active. They've been vocal about that. So uh, who knows? Uh, we'll see uh, where that ends up. I, I think one thing is clear as day. You would wonder at one time if Yannick Ngakwe were traded or could be traded or they don't think things are going to happen and, and finish in a nice way here in Jacksonville for him. Yeah. Could Clowney come in? Could the Jags make an investment? Well, that's off the table. Chase On's now here. They went and get Aaron, got Aaron Lynch, a veteran guy. I mean, he's not Clowney, but at least he's a veteran body. I mean, they have bodies you now. See, you still have Cassius Marsh as well, who kind of goes under the radar a little bit. But really, think about this is kind of a sidebar. We're not really reason. a topic. But we're discussing this, I think, two days ago. We are doing the 3-4 stuff. Yeah. Think about the bodies they have on their outside guys, You know, mm-hmm. whether it's the big end spot or the pass, the edge spot. They have Jan, mm-hmm. obviously on the roster, Josh Allen, Chase on, Cassius Marsh. You know, McCray can do it in a pinch if he needs to. I won't put him in the category. But so you go four deep right there. But let's be honest. I mean, if you go – because he just can't play special teams. So he's going to – have to be one of those spots. Yeah, and yeah. then on the other side, because you think Lynch is going to play that bigger side, don't you? Yeah, it all depends how much Lynch weighs right now. Yeah. I think in Chicago he was like 270, maybe even 280. Yeah. To me, depending what once again, if it's going to be a 3-4 under or over, we'll see. But I think right now where his weight is, he's better suited as a, like a five technique um, in that under front. Okay, well, so just even add him on that side, it's a, wherever you want yeah. to put him. But I'm just naming bodies. I just named four on that Big side. Guy. Yeah, yeah. And now you have... Gunter, Smoot, mm-hmm. and Lynch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have seven guys on the edges yeah. that the Jaguars can have fun with there, whether it's 4-3, three, 3-4, three, and say, hey, listen, there's a big drop-off between some. Josh Allen's a bona fide star. Yeah, yeah. Jan has been a star. Uh, Chase on, they hope, is a star. Mm-hmm. And those other guys are more middle of the road, uh, but... You know, they've invested a bit in Gunter. They think he can be a little bit of something. Smoot coming off a six-sack year. I'm not going to go crazy with that. Yeah. But it's still a six-sack year. You wonder where, where that leads him. Uh, and then I think Marsh and and, uh, and even Lynch, to a degree, are just kind of bodies. But. but this is why I'm so prevalent on a 3-4 defense, right? Because you just talked about it, the edge, right? And then you keep using the term edge. Well, to me, if you're on the 3-4, well, then Smoot. Probably doesn't play the edge. All right, Smooth plays a five technique. That's not really considered an edge because yeah, he's still, you know. So then Gunter not really playing the edge. So that's why I feel like they're better suited right now with their personnel for an all-out legit three-four defense. Because if they were to play a four-three defense, well now you're justifying having a depth at defensive end of like seven, eight guys, which is just unheard of, obviously, even in training camp. So that's why I'm so prevalent on saying it's going to be a 3-4 defense because now you can move Smoot down to that tackle position, not playing defensive end or the outside rusher. Now you can move Gunter and everything like that. So that's why I think it's going to be a 3-4. All right, uh, so quick thought on that. Uh, Here's a quick thought on the schedule, uh, and we'll we'll talk more about it as the show goes along. I I was wondering this yesterday. We were asking primetime games, right? I I bet, I mean, it looks like, (laughs) if by the way, Dill is right, but I think this was probably something you could assume. You actually did say it yesterday, right? Didn't you say Miami? Uh, So you were talking to Dill earlier. That's kind of what happened. Yeah, pretty much, man. Uh, No, I said that I wanted Cleveland, but I think it would make sense to have Miami. But I I thought it was going to be Miami more, like, later in the season. But, you know, Tua, Garner, Minshew. According to this report, uh, Mm. it would be the third week of the season. So bitter, though. (laughs) So, so upset. All these, Brent, all these flavors out here. I know. And you choose to be salty. Yeah, a little bit. Oh. Uh, but anyway, the 
do that. Some people, I I said when the Titans and Jags report came out today that yeah. that wasn't going to be a case. And I, I think that did come from Tennessee, probably. I mean, that uh, Paul Kaharski covers yeah. the Titans, so I think that was like, hey, at least it's not that everybody's like, Whoosh. yes. Right. Right. Thank you. No right. Titans, right. Jags on Thursday Night Football. Thank you, NFL. For I don't care NFL what else happens. The Jacksonville Jaguars, thank you, yes. Uh, so, but it's a, uh, it, it begs the question because some of them said, well, they might not have a primetime game. They might not have a primetime game. And, and I think they will have one primetime game even before this, this leak came out. Mm-hmm. But is that because of Minshew? Like, does Minshew make them kind of a primetime draw? We didn't really talk about that yesterday. You know, they have very little star power. They have potential star power, but they have very little national appeal in Jacksonville. And that's not the small market. You know, that's Listen, they had national appeal. Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, you know, even Nick Foles coming off the Super Bowl. I mean, there was some na- – heck, you could argue when Bortles was around, it was national appeal because it was butt of jokes a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But he was a national name people knew. Mm-hmm. Fournette, I think, fits it. They really have close to no national appeal, if we're being honest. It's not a knock. There's no disrespect. They just don't have it yet. They're so young. Minshew is their only guy. Yep. Fournette carries a little bit of that. He does. I, I believe so. He He's a guy that draws headlines. I mean, they'll lead with Fournette on SportsCenter during the last couple months if he's making news. I think Fournette's a big name, and, he, and there is national appeal. But that's it. I mean, Josh Allen might be on his way, but he's not there yet. Well, Jan has never he, been there. And, and Josh Allen shares the name of the quarter of that quarterback in Buffalo. True. You know? No, I'm not going to say which guy's a better player, Josh Allen, Jacksonville. But obviously, people recognize the quarterback a little more. So yeah. that hurts Josh Allen, like you said. Maybe 15% of the U.S. population can pronounce Yannick Ngakwe's name right. I'm not sure if I can even do it yet, but that's what it is right now. So DJ Chark could evolve into that. Yeah. So it's Fournette, but it's Minshew. Minshew's the guy. He took the nation by storm. He took yes. the city by storm. He took the league by storm for a few weeks, and even that died off again. He, he, his play wasn't great for a little stretch there in the second half of the year. Then Foles comes in. But uh, does he give them that kind of national appeal that people in – Tacoma, Washington would yeah. turn on TV and be like, well, that's not a good example. He played at Washington State. So mm-hmm. people in Wisconsin would turn on TV and be like, hey, man, I'm going to watch Minshew play. What's this Minshew mania thing? I'm going to watch listen, the Jorts and the, and yeah. the Aviators play today. Listen, you have a guy who's obviously this folk hero for what he does off the field. You have a guy who is a la Brett Favre-esque on the field. And guess what? He plays the most important position of quarterback. Okay? After the 2017 season, Jaguars go to the AFC Championship game. What happens after that for primetime games? Nah. And guess what? You had guys like Calais Campbell. Okay? You you, you had names. You had, you had the mayor of Saxonville. But guess what, man? It's a defensive tackle. Again, you had Ramsey. And, and it really doesn't matter unless your name's J.J. Watt or maybe even Aaron Dom. But even Aaron Dom doesn't really get nah, the love that true. he deserves. So it's the quarterback position. Remember when Johnny Menzel got drafted by the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, they were on five times. They, they were horrible. Remember, like, they yeah. came, came up a horrible year. The Cleveland yeah. Browns, the factory of sadness. I think last how year many, they had, like, five or six. How many primetime games did Baker Mayfield get? And how many primetime games did Johnny Menzel get? It's all about the quarterback position. And guess what? Gardner Minshew gives you that. Yeah. Uh, again, I think they're only going to have the one. Uh, and it's that leak is right, then they will only have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I thought that anyway. You know, I, I think they're going to have one game. Yeah, and, yeah. But I'm just saying, Minshew offers that up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, maybe if they surprise some people, they can flex into a primetime game later in the year. <laughs> hey, when we come back, uh, we will get back to more football. But Justin Gagey, he uh, headlines the big event coming up Saturday. First live sporting event in Jacksonville is the UFC. We've talked about it a little bit this week. He joins us next on ESPN 690.
We're getting back to live sports on Saturday night here in the United States, and the first event will be USC 249. It's a big one right here in the River City in Jacksonville. Of course, no fans at the arena. ton of precautions taking place. UFC will be here three consecutive dates over the next, really, ten days. Saturday, then Wednesday, then Saturday. But this one's the big one. UFC 249 on ESPN Plus and then uh, pay-per-view as well. And the big matchup, the headline fight, is Ferguson against Gagey. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane. Austin Lane, former Jags player, current MMA fighter. We welcome in to Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, one of the headliners of Saturday night, Justin Gagey right now. Justin, hope your family's doing well and you're doing well during these times. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm lovely. I'm lovely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, uh, what do you think about Saturday night, man? Finally back to some action and, and how strange will it be in front of an empty arena? Oh, it'll be, uh, per- I'll be in my, uh, my safe space, man. It's going to be legendary. Why so? Will you have to get yourself pumped up? Why will you do well in that space without fans? Uh, what's that part of it going to be like? I guess the the pre-fight stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, so uh, I mean, if someone's, it's a life or death situation for me. Um, I don't need anybody there. All I need is the adrenaline coursing through my veins, and that's what I'm going to, you know, experience. That's all the hype I need. Um, you know, he's trying to take everything I've worked for, and this is the biggest opportunity of my life. So uh, nothing matters other than being in the fight. I, I'm a performer. When the when the door, door shuts, bell rings, I perform, and that's what's going to happen Saturday. Justin, can you take us through your mindset a little bit, man? Like, obviously, you're supposed to fight Tony Ferguson April 18th, and you got that call on short notice, right? I think you're actually a short notice fighter, so it doesn't make a big deal at all. But then that fight gets canceled. That fight gets moved to Jacksonville May 9th now. What is it like to kind of prepare for a fight short notice, have that fight fall out, and now the fight's back on again? Yeah, this is uh, I'm the opposite of a short notice fight. This is the, the first and only fight I've ever taken on short notice. And, you know, it was... um. The situation had a lot to do with my my decision, and then you know I've never been offered any fight uh, with the world ti- with the world title implications, and um, so that's all I, that's all I'm here for. That's all we fight for as athletes, as uh, as performers. You know, we want to be the best in the world. We want to be recognized as the best in the world, or one of the best in the world. So um, it's been incredibly easy to uh, to get ready. But, Justin, when you talk about being, you know, this is your first time taking a short-notice fight, but do you almost feel like, you know, this this is ingrained in you? It's almost like what you're all about? Because let's be honest, I mean, your style of fighting, like, yeah, Tony Ferguson does a lot of crazy things, right? He's unorthodox. He has the elbows. He can throw the darts from anywhere. He's he's very versed in 10th planet jiu-jitsu. But at the end of the day, you understand Tony Ferguson's going to come and try to knock you out, okay? He's going to come try to, you know, use his gas tank and wear you down. So with that being said, I mean, is it almost an advantage to have a short-notice fight from the standpoint of you know what he's going to do, number one, and number two, you know what you do as well? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the the one and only thing that matters is he's human, he has a brain, and when it shakes, you go to sleep. That's the natural natural process of uh, of getting hit. So that's all that, that's all that matters. Just engage uh, you're you human, with I'm human, and whoever takes a shot at the wrong time, at the wrong, in the wrong space, on the wrong spot, is is going to go to sleep. He does have jujitsu. He does have wrestling. I wrestled my whole life, um, and I'm not going to play jujitsu with him. I'm going to stop it and make sure he stands up. 
Um, I believe he wants to, uh, you know, he's got a little bit of macho in him. I got a little bit of macho in me. So uh, I have no doubt that we're going to go out there and figure out who's best on the feet and and then make adjustments from there. This is going to be one heck of a fight Saturday night here in Jacksonville, UFC 249. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, happy to be joined by one of the headliners, uh, Ferguson against Gagey, Justin Gagey with us. Hey, Justin, uh, we had Dana White on a couple of days ago, and Austin asked him uh, if there are any fighters like you that have performed in the UFC, you are that unique in terms of your mentality. Here's what Dana White had to say. He's an incredible fighter. He hits so hard, and you're absolutely right. He loves to he loves to knock people out. Move forward, take shots, trade you know punch for punch until he hits you with the one that knocks you out. Is that about right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had six fights, seven bonuses, five headlines. No one in the history of a sport has done that. Justin, you know, I've been breaking you up all week because. The MMA audience knows who you are, right? And I'm trying to get the casual fans on board. And all I got to say is go watch Justin Gagey's last five fights, okay? Whether they're wins or losses, just go watch them and see what happens. That's all you need to know about a main event for the UFC. Even your your grandma will love it. Yeah, exactly. Humans recognize effort. I give max effort. That's all that we all expect from each other is to be your yeah. best and give max effort, and that's what I do. And Justin, here's my question, man, because you're always praised for coming forward. You know, you're always praised for, you know what, you're willing to take a little damage to give a lot of damage, you know, and then that's kind of your M.O. and everything. But I think after that Dustin Poirier fight, we kind of saw you uh, saw you evolve a little bit and from the standpoint of now, yeah, you still dish out the damage, you still take the shots, but you're almost a little more calm, a little more calculated with how you approach things. Did that Dustin Poirier fight kind of change your mindset a little bit of how to approach a fight you know it was uh both the eddie alvarez and the Dustin Poirier. those are back to back and i deep down i know i lost both of those fights for the same exact reason i became too comfortable complacent and uh you know i it's easy when you're when you're the hammer it's easy to forget that uh it just takes one time to miss that nail and you know you're no longer the hammer i know that uh you know when i became complacent and relaxed i you know, I threw caution, too much caution you know, out the window, and they landed those big shots. These guys are the best in the world. Tony's one of the best in the world. I have possessed a very particular set of skills. And, you know, so it's at this level, it's who makes the mistake first. I cannot make mistakes. Justin, you may be the only fighter in MMA history, actually combat sports history, for leading up to a fight, you said, the, and I quote, I hope I get my nose broken. All right, so number one, what's up with that? And n- number two, have you had a coronavirus test yet where they stick that Q-tip up to basically your brain? I have had that, and it was not comfortable. Uh, <laughs> but it was quick. It was only like four or five seconds. I saw Tony said that I'm trying to throw him off and, and make him attack my body. Um, every sparring session, I offer 500 to to $1,000, $1,000 on a holiday if they can drop me with a body shot. So... That's not the case. My nose is truly broken. It got broken 12 years ago along with my lip. got split. And, you know, I want to smell my food before I taste it. I got to taste <laughs> it to smell it. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to trying to fix that. <laughs> and you got the UFC to pay for it, I guess, right? <laughs> of if course. Yeah, I want the UFC to pay for it. And, you know, it's not like I can just take a break and take some time off. You know, the best time to do it is after a fight, especially after a fight where I win a UFC championship and I get to go home and uh, have my, you know, sulk in my belt. 
Hey, I got to be on TV tonight. I don't want my nose broken, but I'll leave that up to you. Uh, Justin Gagey with us. Uh, headlines, uh, UFC 249 right here in Jacksonville. Can I ask you a little bit more about the, the whole process? You said you took the COVID-19 test. How much more do you have to go through from what you understand for um, the precautions the UFC will take during this event that will make it a little bit different? And are you can you be annoyed by any of that? Are you concerned about that, throwing off your, your pre-match routine, anything like that? Uh, my number one goal in life is to never let somebody control my thoughts or emotions. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's under my control, and it absolutely does not phase me one bit. I always try to take the positives from any situation. The UFC is doing everything they can. Every time we leave this hotel, we come back, we check our temperature. Uh, they gave us three tests. They tested every single person that stepped in this place. Um, the only thing that's going to be really different is no fans in the arena. But for me, again, life or death situation, adrenaline is coursing through your veins. That's not a factor. Given the situation uh, in this global pandemic, were you at all concerned about getting in the cage this weekend? Did you have any hesitation? No, no, I had zero hesitation. Um, fighting is dangerous. What I, what I, my, my, you know, my job is extremely dangerous, and I chose this life. Um, you know, and I will never be scared to live. You know, Justin, like Brent said, you know, I'm, I'm an MMA fighter myself, man. I'm trying to come up and everything, but I've interviewed a few MMA fighters, and I've and I've listened to interviews from hundreds, okay. And and, and one thing I can't stand is you know the generic questions that you know U, UFC fighters usually get. But you're the only fighter I'm going to ask this question to because you're the only fighter where I actually value what you have to say for the answer. And to set this up real quick, when fighters get asked why do they fight, you know, guys are going to say they want to win a championship, they want to get money and all that stuff, right? Well, I don't know you personally, but I feel like when it comes to money, like, yeah, you obviously value money, but you don't live a lifestyle. Um, essentially, you don't follow up a lifestyle that you can't afford, right? So you're not worried about that. And in terms of the belt, you know, one could say if you truly wanted the belt, well, then you could come out and wrestle for, for three rounds against all your opponents, and you could win and climb up. But you don't do that. You know, you try to put on a show for the fans. So I'm going to ask you this question. You're the only fighter I've ever asked this question, too. But Justin Gagey, why do you fight? I fight for glory, man. That's it. Um, back in the gladiator day, I was born in the wrong century. I'll tell you that. Um, this is, uh, there's only, you know, you only live once and you will have regrets. And one thing I will not regret is, is putting, you know, it on the line to prove I'm the best. Not very often does a person get a chance to prove something, to prove that they're the best at something in the entire world. I thank God got that opportunity right now. And glory is all I fight for. Justin Gagey here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We appreciate the time, man. Good luck Saturday night. Hope it goes well in the headliner, UFC 249. Best of luck. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. You got it. Justin Gagey against Ferguson on Saturday night, the headliner. And it's a great card. Yeah. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about the card and, and break down some of those matches. I want to get your thoughts on that. But uh, this guy's a different cat, isn't he? He's a different cat. Well, believe me. Well, well, first, first of all, let me say this. Y'all are different cats to get in the cage and do that. <laughs> no, uh, listen, but he's really a different cat. He's a different cat, and listen, we appreciate him coming on the show, because let's be honest, it's Thursday right now, okay? And the fight is Saturday, so he's probably trying to cut weight right now. He's probably trying to focus on the fight, and here he comes on ESPN 690 Jackson. We'll talk a little bit, so we appreciate that. But he said it himself, Brent, right? Like, money's not the motor for Justin Gagey, okay? And, like, yeah, obviously the championship means something. It means something to anybody, but like he said, the, the guy just... The guy fights because he wants to be known as just the baddest dude of all time. 
you know, and I think that's admirable. I, I think it's rare. I think a lot of guys can talk a big game, but then when they get in a UFC cage or, you know, if they get in a boxing ring, it's like, well, yeah, I want to be the baddest guy, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wrestle or I'm going to be a little more defensive and take my time because let's be honest, I don't want to take damage and I don't want to get hurt. And I want to fight for my future. Gagey doesn't do that, man. Gagey comes out ready to go every single time and come downhill and get ready to take damage. And that's why I'm so excited for this main event fight. A guy like Gagey is just a great example of, man, we are all different. Right? <laughs> because, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. I don't have that in me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a chance. Uh, and maybe I've got something that Gagey doesn't have in him. Yeah, yeah. But we ain't alike in that sense. <laughs> for sure. Uh, don't come break my nose. Yeah. And I don't want you to hit me on the chin 15 yeah. times before I come at you and, yeah. and try to knock you out. Uh, uh, so it's 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 really hard for me to – that's why I like listening to these guys talk and kind of get their mentality and the psychology behind it. And that's a big part of MMA, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the psychology of it once you get in there. Uh, first of all, there's no fear factor for these guys, for any of you that get in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's the science of the sport. And then it's just, uh, like he said, I mean, I think he blatantly said it. It's like, who's going to make that mistake? You know, who's mm-hmm. going to make the mistake? Or who's going to get hit in the spot that you really shouldn't get hit in? Yeah. And, and that sometimes you can't control. Yeah, and, and that's, and that's listen, I, I love the sport for so many reasons, and I do it for so many reasons. First of all, let me say, I can't wait till I'm retired. I can go to the NFL uh, PA and say, hey, go ahead and pay for my nose real quick uh, because I can't <laughs> breathe out my left nostril. And, and they're going to oblige. I'm be super excited about that. I'm be excited to breathe 100% through my nose again, but that's it's, it's a ways down the line. But one of the reasons why I love the sport of MMA so much, and, and Gagey kind of um, set it up perfectly, Essentially, Brent, there's how many styles of, of fighting? I mean, you got jujitsu, you can, you got grappling, you got the, you know, the, the, the smash and pound, you got boxing, you got kickboxing, you got Muay Thai, um, you got all these different outlets that you can use in a cage that you can, you can enforce on your opponent. But at the end of the day, you're trying to do really one of three things. You're trying to hit somebody's button, whether it's on the chin or the temple. You're trying to choke somebody out, or you're trying to, you know, get an arm or a leg and squeeze until they tap out. And that's it. Like, it's so complicated, but at the end of the day, it's so simple because there's one or three things you can really do in a cage, but there's a million ways to go about that. And I think uh, Justin Gage, you kind of said that in various ways where it's like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to come down forward. I'm going to try to knock him out, but... It's as simple as that, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, let's let's pivot here because we'll talk a little bit more UFC tomorrow. We take it yeah. to the top, right, Coos? Uh, and coming up, by the way, we'll have a senior shout-out. We'll also give away a $50 gift card to uh, Metro Diner in the next hour. And we'll get to a lot of football talk, a lot of Jags talk, uh, some a little bit about the schedule uh, as well. And also uh, later on, uh, is Major League Baseball kind of eyeing a return? I mean, is there enough uh, kind of smoke there that there'll be some fire. But we go from a physical sport of UFC, and we'll get into this uh, topic that might carry over for a little bit. Golf. No. Oh, okay. Can the Jags be physical enough on defense to satisfy you, them, whatever? And here's what I mean by it, if you missed it earlier. I think the Jags have been a little bit more flash, athleticism, playmakers the last few years. I don't look at the Jaguars and say, man, that is a physical football team. Now, on occasion, I'll say Marcel Doris, physical guy, right? He's in the mm-hmm. middle. He's a big dude. I think they can play physical at times. They had some some big hits, um, but not enough of them. I think 
Miles Jack has a violent nature to him that is underrated because of his athleticism. Mm-hmm. So I think Miles is a great example of this. I think sometimes you're so athletic and you're fast and you make plays that people don't talk about your physical nature. Yeah. And he's a great example of that. If you go back to 17, especially Miles Jack, when he was playing fast and, and kind of letting it all go, especially in the postseason, he was whacking people, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was knocking them into the next week. Mm-hmm. And so. I just don't know if I've seen enough of that the last couple of years out of the Jags. They yeah. don't – nobody looks on their tape and says, man, I'm going to be so sore the next day. I don't think people look at Jacksonville like that and have. So what you're saying essentially, even from Miles Jack, is like you want that Patrick Willis type, right? Like Patrick Willis was a freak of nature, right? But he also hit you, and he also played with this mentality, this grit and everything. And that's what you want at linebacker. Not just Miles Jack, though. I want that a little bit more in their entire defense, well, I feel like. Or do I well, need it? Do I need it is the question. Here's, you absolutely need it, you know, whether it's a 4-3 defense or a 3-4. But it's funny that you brought up Miles Jack, and I love that you did that because you're actually going to prove my point. Are we getting into it right now? Or are we gonna... No, we're going. Okay. We'll go just for a little bit. We'll carry it bit. over. But yeah. I, wanna, I just thought it was go from physical sport to physical sport. Let's yeah. do it. So 3-4 defense, right, Brent? You think of 3-4 defenses, what do you think of? You think of the Ravens. You think of um, you think of the Steelers, obviously. Even, even the Patriots have a brand of 3-4 defense. But, you know, they're all over the place. But, like, what do all those have in common? They're They're physical. Right? Uh, and truth be told, even the Bears defense last year in team defense, fourth overall in team defense, which is shocking to me because they didn't really have that great of a didn't season. feel like it. Yeah. So check this out. Of the top t- defenses last year in team defense, top defense, Patriots, ran uh, uh, primarily a 3-4. Second place, Ravens, 3-4. Fourth place, Bears, 3-4. And then ninth place, Green Bay Packers, 3-4 defense. What do all those defenses have in common is their question, right? How can they have so much success in a 3-4? And why, you know, can the Jaguars just plow out a 3-4 defense expect to have the same kind of success? And some that they all have in common. Like, and listen, you're going to tell me, yeah, well, Green Bay, that they had Smith and Smith, right? Like, Preston Smith was an animal. Great bridge and signing. You're going to tell me the Chicago Bears have Cleo Mack. That guy's a beast. I'm going to say, yes, he is, obviously. And you're telling me the Ravens defensive line, one of the, you know, I mean, very, really solid. They just add another piece in Clayus Campbell. And you're going to tell me the Patriots, I mean, you know, one of the best head coaches, if not the best head coach ever in football, uh, who's a defensive-minded guy. You're going to tell me that. But what I'm going to tell you what they all have in common, it's the linebacking core, okay? Uh, And this involves the Steelers as well. It's the linebacking core in that, number one, they have an attitude, okay? The whole reason why... The 3-4 defense was implemented back in, I think, the early 2000s, I think it's 2003, by the Pittsburgh Steelers, first team to do it. Do you know why? Because when they went to the draft, they got a couple linebackers, and they all had something in common. They were nasty dudes, and they had to be showcased, okay? So um, I forgot who the defensive coordinator was at the time. Forgive me for that. But basically he said, you know what? We have these nasty guys. We have to get them all in the field at the same time. We have to showcase their skills, their talents. Let's go ahead and get 3-4 defense. And that's how it was born. The 3-4 defense wasn't born out of necessity. The 3-4 defense was born out of trying to, trying to personnel and trying to mold your players to the best possible scheme. Okay, That's where it came up from Pittsburgh in the early 2000s. Now, yes, if you go back in time, there's been other 3-4 defenses, but I'm talking about the resurgence of the 3-4 defense stemmed from there. Okay, So when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, you bring in a guy in Joel Schobert, okay? All things considered, we, we call him like a diet puzz right now. Maybe even be an upgrade from a puzz from, from the standpoint of the guy can drop back into coverage. Um, you know, he's comfortable in all phases of the game. So one could say maybe he's an upgrade from puzz right now. You have a guy in Miles Jack who you just said yourself. You said he does have a little bit of that mean streak, right? Um, he has to play within himself still, but that mean streak is there. So if you have those two guys 
in the middle of your field. You have one guy in Joe Schober who I think is more of like the calm, cool, collected type, the guy who's going to get everybody lined up, the field general, if you will, and I play with a lot of great field generals, pause to name one, Daryl Smith to name another, Lance Briggs to name another. So if you have those type of guys leading your defense, and then you have kind of, let's call them the wild card in Miles Jack, well, then you have something right there, okay? And then you, you sprinkle on the outside linebackers, which you have, and now you got something really special. But it's not just that, Brent, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it, it starts with the linebacking core, and it starts with the attitude there. That, that, I always say the outside linebacker is the most important thing of a 3-4 defense. 1B would be the inside linebackers. And 1C, I guess you would say, because it's also important, would be like a 3 technique or a nose technique as well. All right, good stuff. I love the background and everything. What gives you out of those positions, though, a, a who made the Steelers physical? The linebackers? Oh, James, I mean, those guys, guys like James Harrison comes to mind, yeah. you know, and, and like James Harrison played more outside. But yeah, th- those guys, that linebacking core made those guys. Or work. were they physical on all three levels like Baltimore? They I mean, I, you can think of a bunch of different players over the years for Baltimore. Of course. But you think of Baltimore as being this team when you wake up on Monday morning, you hurt more than when you played the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. But let's be honest, though. Baltimore had CJ Mosey last year or two years ago. I'm sorry. Years ago. Right. Best middle linebacker probably in the game. Uh, maybe a little Keekly, but he's he's top three regardless. Goes to New York. They, they put a new cat in there, then skip a beat. You know, like, when I say that the middle linebacker's got to be physical and, and relentless, yeah, that's, that's important. But, like, once again, the biggest thing and what C.J. Mosley doesn't really get a lot of credit for is the mind. It's being in the right spot at the right time, number one, being a great leader, number two, and getting guys lined up, number three. So that's why, to answer your question, do I think that Jaguars can be more physical? Do I think that Jaguars um, could kind of bring a new intensity in this 3-4 defense if they do implement it, to be fair? Absolutely, because it starts with the linebackers. Josh Allen, we'll see Yannick Ngakwe, Chase on, and then in the middle, Miles Jack and Joe Schobert. Absolutely, because what I talked about yesterday, Brent, with Miles Jack, it's all about what you said. It's all about the speed. It's all about coming downhill, not thinking, just go. Just go hit somebody. That's what Miles Jack's going to do now if he's playing a 3-4 defense. So I am intrigued. Um, when you add pieces like Al Woods and Gunter, who have been in 3-4 defenses before, who have had some success, who know about attitude. Al Woods coming from Seattle. They're all about attitude over there. All right? Don't get it twisted. I like the pieces that they have in place to kind of have a little paradigm shift of, intensity and physicality when we come back i'm going to ask you this if you were the defensive coordinator what would you want your identity to be and can you be both can you be physical and knock heads into next week and be the lunch pail guys and can you be playmakers do they go hand in hand I don't think it always does like tennessee they don't strike me as a playmaking team they strike me as a lunch pail team uh, but can you have both? Which would you rather be on the defensive side? And this is all about how can the Jazz get a little bit of an identity? They went a year without an identity last year. Didn't have one. We'll see what it will be in 2020 next on ESPN 690.